0: Our scripture this morning is taken from the eighth chapter of Romans, if you'd like to follow along with me. It is in your pew Bible on page 785. I got to say, totally stoked, one of my very favorite passages of the Bible. Glad you're standing beside me. You might have to hold me back. I knew that. Okay, see, yeah, see, he knows that. (laughs) Holy Spirit, man. All right, my friends, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently." In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, the word of God.
1: Thank you, God. Christmas. Christmas Christmas-like life can be about expectations. What are your expectations for this Christmas? It's funny, really. We aren't born with any real expectations. We learn to expect things. We learn to expect things early on from our parents. We come to depend on them for food, clothing, shelter. And their provision of these things creates our expectation for such things in our lives. Unless you've ever gone without, you just growing up, you just grow up expecting that you'll always have food, you'll always have clothing, you'll always have shelter. If you doubt this, raise children and wait till they ask you, what's for dinner? Like, hey, get to it. And our expectations only increase As time goes on. We begin in our lives to take many things for granted. The rising and setting of the sun, the ability to breathe, all of our senses, our general health and well-being, the fact that we'll get to see another day tomorrow. We come to expect such things as certainties of life because we experience them every day. Therefore we come to believe that these expectations, expectations like these, are only logical, they're only rational. But what happens, what happens when our expectations are not met? When things don't go our way, when everything doesn't happen the way that it was supposed to, when we don't get the reactions or actions from certain people that we expected, how does this affect our dreams, our sense of possibility for the future? How long does it take? How long does it take for us to start lowering the bar? Because experience has taught us, the maturity of rational thinking has trained us not to expect so much, maybe not to expect anything at all, because the odds are we will just end up disappointed. How many of us actually find ourselves lowering the bar to the ground? Adopting the philosophy of expecting the worst possible outcome. Because that way, whatever happens is always better than what we would have expected. Beloved, life has a way of teaching us very quickly to shift from having expectations to managing expectations. In many ways, isn't this one way of describing the process of growing up? We mature. We grow out of having childlike wonder. We grow out of believing expectations built on the belief that anything is possible. And we grow into the sobering realism of adulthood, where you discover the hard way, how things really work in this world. And therefore, you learn to manage your expectations accordingly. For me, I think this shift is most evident at this time of year more than any other. For children, for children, Christmas is about expecting strings of colored lights that will brighten up our homes and our worlds during the darkest time of the year. For a young boy or girl, Christmas is about anticipating a star that points to something new, a star that leads to something beyond what we could ever imagine or ask for. For a child, Christmas is about dreaming and asking for what we want and believing that we will find it underneath a decorated tree. For many children, the greatest joy of Christmas is found in the waiting, the anticipation, the hope of what is to come. But for most adults, Christmas is different. Most adults tend to view Christmas much differently as we become adults, Christmas becomes more and more about managing our expectations. It becomes more and more about enduring and surviving the holiday rush that leads us from Thanksgiving to Christmas morning. It's only been a little little over a week since Thursday, but with the coming of Black Friday, did you hear it? The whistle has sounded. The holiday train has left the station. Next stop for the Polar Express, Christmas morning. That's how quickly the holiday season starts. That's how fast it all seems to move, chugging along in record time through shopping, cookies, cards, and parties until the next thing you know, we've arrived at our destination. Each year, we seem to move faster and faster from Thanksgiving to December 25th, and it all becomes, therefore, about managing our expectations, managing the expectations of another Christmas, living up to the expectation of the spirit of the season, The spirit of the season, the Christmas season, we're told, is the spirit of giving. Giving donations, giving cards, giving parties, giving gifts, giving to our loved ones. Giving, giving, giving. Be generous. Be charitable. Be compassionate. Be of good cheer. Give, give, give. That's the spirit that drives us as we manage the expectation of other people in our lives. What do I get this year from mom or dad? Do I have enough presents for everybody? Have I forgotten someone? Is this what they really want? How am I going to pay for all this? Give, give, give. That's the spirit that drives us until we can't take any more giving. Until we can't give anymore. Until all the stress, all the exhaustion, all the giving fatigue overwhelms us. For some of us, we're still exhausted from last year, and maybe we stopped trying to manage the expectations of other people this Christmas, and instead we're working on managing our own expectations. We're not buying any gifts this year, and we don't want any gifts either, bah humbug. We're taking Christmas off this year. We're steering clear from all the malls and shopping centers. We're switching to another station if the one we're listening to starts playing Christmas music. We're going out of state. We're going out of the country. We're getting away from Christmas this year. What are you expecting this Christmas? Beloved, there's nothing wrong with having expectations in this life and certainly at Christmas time. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul acknowledges the reality of our expectations as he writes For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as if in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. There's nothing wrong with having expectations. The problem is when we let our expectations dictate the possibility for our lives. The problem is when we let the expectations, our expectations, dictate the possibility of Christmas. When our lives become all about managing expectations, it takes all the mystery out of life. And when our, this season becomes all about managing expectations, it takes all the magic, all the wonder, all the awe out of Christmas. When we expect certain reactions and actions from those around us, we're not open to anticipating, to watching for the unexpected. We're no longer flexible to embrace or accommodate surprise. When we become so fixated on our disappointment when things don't go our way, we find ourselves becoming dismissive of improbable or impossible outcomes. In other words, my brothers and sisters in Christ, managing our expectations in life, and particularly at Christmas time, leaves us hopeless. Without any hope. And hope is exactly what Paul wants us to focus on in this passage. He writes, For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Beloved, I'm going to say something that's going to probably get me in trouble. Big surprise. The true spirit of Christmas isn't the spirit of giving. The true spirit of Christmas isn't the spirit of giving. It's the Holy Spirit. As Paul describes it, the true spirit of Christmas is the spirit of hope. The spirit of hope that declares we belong. That we don't have to give gifts. We don't have to give to charity. We don't have to give anything in order to be accepted. In order to gain favor. The true spirit of Christmas is the spirit of hope that declares that we are adopted as children of our Heavenly Father not because of what we give but because of who has been given unto us in Bethlehem. The true spirit of Christmas is the spirit of hope that assures us that our credit is good. That we don't have to give to prove our value. We don't have to go into debt to secure our worth with God or with anyone else. The true spirit of Christmas is the spirit of hope that assures us that all of our debts have been paid, that our bodies and our lives will be redeemed. The true spirit of Christmas is the spirit of hope that intercedes for us, intercedes for us when we don't know what to ask for, when we believe we've grown up and grown out of Christmas, when people ask, what do you want for Christmas? And we say, I don't need anything. Really? Really? We don't need anything at Christmas. Yeah, we don't need what's out there, but we do need what's in here. When we grow up and grow out of Christmas, the Spirit of hope intercedes for us, filling the discrepancy, the gap between what we see, what we try to expect, how we manage our expectations, and what we cannot see, what we can't even imagine, and yet we need. The Spirit of Christmas the holy spirit if you will creates our grown-up christmas list the story of christmas as recorded in the gospels is primarily a story of hope it's the revelation of the mystery of a god who shatters all of our expectations From the very beginning of the nativity story, Mary and Joseph have to set aside expectations. They have to set aside their expectations for life, which were framed by the very Jewish traditions that they grew up with. They learned, like us, how to manage expectations too. Those traditions shaped their beliefs in terms of what was possible and what was probable. And yet for Mary and Joseph, this God comes and shatters their expectations. Individually and later together, they had to embrace hope. Hope that could only come from God. This hope of God coming to earth to be with us. This hope of this God being born into our world as a helpless, vulnerable human being. Beloved, the true spirit of the season is not giving. It is receiving. It is receiving the spirit of hope. And if we learn anything from Mary and Joseph during this season, if we learn anything from their story, it's that hope is something you can't give away until you first receive it. Do you ever think about that? Hope is something you can't give to someone else until you first receive it. We have to receive the spirit of hope before we truly have anything to give away at Christmas time. But how? How do we receive this spirit of hope? The answer is here. Paul points us to it. We receive the spirit of hope by receiving the greatest gift of Christmas. The greatest gift of Christmas, which is love. Love come down. Love in the flesh. Not some baby, it's cold outside kind of love. (laughs) Love come down. Love in the flesh. Our gift, the greatest gift of Christmas, is the gift of the love of God through the child in the manger the love of God that takes on the garment of fragile flesh to release us from being beasts of burden, managed by our expectations. But My friends, make no mistake. Make no mistake as Paul declares to us that the greatest gift of Christmas is love. Make no mistake as he eloquently reminds us this morning, the reach of this love, the gift of this glove, goes wider, deeper, farther than simply the outreach of a baby's hand. Everybody loves Christmas. Everybody loves baby Jesus. Some of us, that's how we picture Jesus. Cuddly little baby Jesus. There's a movie which I won't name where that's exactly how Jesus is prayed to. <laughs> Obviously, you've seen this movie. But Paul wants us to understand that it's more than just a baby. This love in the flesh, this love that comes down, is love that comes down so that it can be love raised up on a cross. Beloved, as Paul emphatically emphasizes here, our Christmas needs to be cross-centered. If there is no cross in my Christmas, then my Christmas has lost Christ. And I have missed the greatest gift of Christmas, which is love. If there there is a, a manger, but the baby sleeping on the hay in that manger is not the Messiah, then there's no Christmas There's no winter rose without the thorns, the thorn that shaped this child's crown. There is a tree at Christmas time, a tree indeed that needs to stand at the center of Christmas, but it's not a tree that's decorated with tinsel and lights. It's a tree decorated with love wrapped in sacrifice, strung up by the light of the world, nailed through with grace. For this is how God shows his love, signs his love, Paul writes, to a deaf and loud world. He signs his love upon a cross to receive the greatest gift of Christmas, which is love, to receive the true spirit of the season, which is hope. We cannot stop at the manger. We must embrace the cross of Christ. And as Paul writes, if we receive this greatest of gifts, this first of gifts, then God will graciously give us all things but it has to start at the cross. Beloved, our Christmas needs to be cross-centered if we're going to live the Christ-filled life. If our lives aren't cross-centered, then our lives will be off-centered. So if you're here this morning and everything in your life is spinning out of control as you enter into the Christmas season, if you're here this morning and the best that you can do for another Christmas and pretty much it's every day of your life, the best you can do is simply manage expectations then you need to unwrap. You need to discover the greatest gift of Christmas, the love of God, born in the flesh, born that man no more may die, born to be raised up on a cross, extending God's forgiveness as far as the curse is found. Christ the babe comes at Christmas as Christ the Savior comes at the cross, seeking first and only our embrace. Desiring first that we receive Him in our hearts before we seek to give anything away. And the good news it gets better is that Paul assures us here. Paul assures us that once we unwrap this present, once we receive the greatest gift of Christmas, nothing, nothing can separate us from this love that comes to us in Jesus Christ. This love of God expressed to us through Jesus Christ, will never run out. It will never fail. God is faithful, Paul wants us to understand, even when we are not. God's love is constant, even when like the prodigal son, we stray. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't been here in some time, maybe you've never been here at all because you're a prodigal here and receive the greatest gift of Christmas, which is love from which you cannot be separated even as you have wandered even as you have been gone, even as you think you've been lost. Because this love, God's love, conquers our sin. It conquers our pride. It conquers our doubt. It conquers our apathy. It conquers our scorn. It conquers all the countless ways that we die spiritually long before our bodies fail. God's love conquers them all, Paul wants us to understand. That's what he's trying to make us hear. That's what he wants to come off the page when he writes, I am absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither things present nor things to come, neither powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, the greatest gift we have to give this Christmas is one that we first have to receive. And it's the love of God which heals our broken hearts. It's the love that surrounds and covers our sins. It's the love from which we can never be separated. And it's out of this great divine love that we receive the true spirit of the season, the spirit of hope that's born anew in our lives. A hope that's lifted high on a cross to give us a vision of possibility beyond our guilt and shame. A hope that's still low enough to the ground to turn possibility into promise. A hope that empties the tomb of death by which so many of us often manage the expectation of our lives. How is it that we as people of faith, we as Christians still manage the expectations of our lives based upon a grave that Jesus has blown open? The expectation of our lives is well beyond what we can manage because the expectation of our lives in Christ is eternity. The true spirit of the season is the spirit of hope that defies our expectations. The spirit of love that makes us conquerors of death and victors of a life eternal. It is when we have first received, though, that we have something to give. You can't give away what you don't have. And so I want to invite you this Advent season to receive first before you seek to give. I might be a little late. You might have already finished your shopping. And we hate you if you did. (laughs) But even if you have, receive before you actually give the things that you've purchased. I want to encourage you this morning to let hope shape your expectations for this Christmas rather than managing your expectations and limiting the hope that's available to you. And what I'm going to do, and if you have the sermon notes, I want you to write this down. I'm going to offer you a very simple daily exercise. It's so simple. It's not radical. It's not, it's not epic. It's very simple. But it's, it's an exercise that I, I promise you if, you, if you practice, if you make this a priority, what it will enable you to do is enable you to have that hope the true spirit of the season kindled in you and through that hope you can receive in a, perhaps a greater way than you ever have before the fullness of the love in Christ, the love of Christ that seeks every year to be born anew in our lives. I'm going to give you three small things and again, like I said, they're not, they're not complicated. But one of the things about Christmas is sometimes the most radical things, the most life-changing things come in the simplest of ways. A baby born in a manger. They're little things that you do on a daily basis that I believe will have a big change, a big result in your willingness to receive before you give. First, light a candle. <laughs> Write it down, light a candle. Advent, if you don't know this, Advent in the church has always been about waiting and watching for the coming of the light. One of the ways we understand Christmas, which is why lights are everywhere, is the, Christ is the light of the world. From the Gospel of John, light a candle to remember the light. Turn off all the other lights. Physically and metaphorically, turn off all the other lights. Grab a candle and a match and focus on that light. For just a few moments every day during Advent, from now till December 25th, I'm inviting you to turn off all the lights, all the chaos and busyness of your day, all the things that went wrong each day and all the things that went right. Turn it all off and just focus on the candle. Light a candle as a way of answering the prophet Isaiah's invitation to come behold he who comes. Light a candle in order to look for and receive the light of the world, the light that dawns on those living in the shadow of death, the light which the darkness cannot overcome. Light a candle. Number two, gather around the light. Don't just light the candle and walk away and, oh, that's nice. Gather around the light, light the candle, and pause for a moment. Can you do that? Pause for a moment and gather around the lit flame. Press close to those you love. Slow your breathing and be warmed by each other's company. Like the shepherds out in their fields by night, gather and keep watch together. Come in from the cold of being alone. If you live alone, I'm inviting you to invite someone over. Don't do this alone. Do it together and and make the effort, the drive, whatever it takes. Come out from the cold of being alone, separated or isolated, and be kindled by the warmth of community. Gather around the light. Beloved, be the church outside of Sunday. Because where two or more are gathered in his name, the spirit is present. Receive the true spirit of the season, the hope that comes in gathering and waiting together. Gather around the light. And finally, step into the light. Step into the light. Prepare for the one who is coming by opening your heart for Christ to make his home huddled together around that candle, step into the light, the light of a few verses of Scripture, the light of a few notes of a hymn or a carol that you sing, the light of a few words of prayer. Choose one. Choose all. But keep it simple, peaceful, without a burden. This isn't homework. This isn't proving you're super Christian. This is about a receptive posture to receive In order to give now the benefit of standing up here and me seeing you is I see some of you copiously writing this down and I see others of you going oh my gosh really light a candle gather around the candle step into the light is that the best he could come up with you're darn right you know maybe there's something more fanciful maybe there's something more intricate and complicated but yes it's this simple in all the, I mean, in doesn't what our Christmas decorations represent it? I mean, we, the, way you, the way we decorate demonstrates how just how busy our lives are. It just takes one light. It just takes gathering around one light. It just takes not just gathering, but entering into the light. If you think about our story, that's what it's all about. Think about all the activity, everything else that was going on. How many people missed the star? How many people missed the manger. Yeah, it's simple. Try it. (laughs) What do you have to lose? Stop managing your expectations. Let go and receive hope and love this Christmas because hope and love, these are the gifts that we have to offer to others this Christmas. Hope and love, these are the gifts that we first have to receive because we can't give away what we haven't received So, beloved, let us enter into this sacred space that's carved out for us during Advent, a place of retreat, thank God, from the holiday rush. And may the slower rhythm of waiting, anticipating, quell the rising pressure of shopping, writing out cards, and gift wrapping. May we listen together to the ancient words, how old they are, of holy prophecy that foretell of a covenant promise, of grace and healing promised to us through the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. And yes, may we light a candle, gather around it, and together step into the light seen by shepherds and by kings, the light of the world, God in the flesh, who enters this wrecked house of the human heart and builds it into the palace from which his kingdom reigns forever and ever. It's through this light out of this hope, because of this love, this eternal blazing love, that the kingdom is born. The kingdom reigns in our hearts. It's before the light of such love, before the love of Christ, that the darkness of this fallen world melts away. And beloved, when the fire of the kingdom burns in a single heart, and then in another, and then in ten, and then in a hundred, and a thousand, and a million hearts, you know what happens? the rest of the earth begins to notice. The rest of the earth begins to receive the true spirit of the season, the true spirit of Christmas, which is hope. Amen? Amen. Amen.